Welcome to Leaders on the Rise. I'm Lydia Pierre, founder and CEO of Pierre Branding Group. We help create stories that resonate with audiences to forge unforgettable, unique brand experiences. These stories ultimately become infused with all aspects of the client's branding, thereby turning entrepreneurs into media celebrities by growing their authority and helping them build partnerships with top influencers. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll reveal to you how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Hello there. I'm Lydia, your host for Leaders on the Rise. And today we have an amazing guest today who is also a marketer and does great things when it comes to helping companies market their businesses, whether it's their products or their services. And he does it in an amazing and unique way. His name is Josh Rosenberg, and he's a fractional CMO. Welcome, Josh. Well, thank you very much for having me, Lydia. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. So... I want you to explain to the audience who you are and what is a fractional CMO. Sure. So uh, I got into the online marketing world back in 2007. Uh, started my first few businesses there and they crashed and burned and failed miserably. Um, I had partners that were not the most honest and all those same sort of nightmare stories that you hear from a lot of people trying to bootstrap something themselves where they don't really have the MBA background and they don't know investors and all that. Um, but eventually later that year, I um, started an adult education company, which became the number one um, in the country of its kind five years in a row. Grew that pretty large just by dumb luck, being in the right place at the right time. But I eventually started to really learn what I was doing. And um, I really fell in love with the marketing side. This isn't really something I thought about previously. Um, but just the psychology behind it, the human psychology, the sales, all of that, just something about that spoke to me. So this was allowing me to grow that business very large, um, where I eventually exited it, sold it off to investor. And at this point, um, I had had enough industry contacts and friends and relationships that they had seen what I was able to do on the marketing side. And had asked me, Hey, can I come in and help them? Can I be their copywriter, their head of marketing and branding and stuff? And so that's what I had done for the next several years. And I worked with companies in about 24 or so different verticals. Um, some of them were successful than others, depending on how they were run and the CEOs and the founders and how they're structured. But after about a hundred million dollars in revenue generated, I realized that where I provide the highest level of value is in the the strategy side of it and being able to look at the big picture and focus on, okay, what are we doing? How how is everything connecting together from emails to ads, to content marketing, to SEO, to affiliate marketing, to copywriting, to presentations, to backend stuff? How are we unifying everything and pushing everything forward together? Um, and how do we bring in or train the right team members who could handle the day-to-day work? I realized if you think about, um, you know, uh, military generals, they sit in the war room and they come up with the grand strategies and then that gets moved to the frontline soldiers who go and, and execute on them. And so that's where I realized I provided the most values. 
And so I made a bit of a shift from being the person that comes up with the strategy and then also executes to managing the people that can execute, running them, making sure that they're motivated, that their work is accountable. And so that transition to kind of the highest level of marketing, which is the chief marketing officer. And with the way that the world's been the last few years, people are working remotely, the corporate structure has changed. Um, unless you're a business doing 20, $30 million or more, you probably don't need a full-time in-house chief marketing officer. So okay. being able to work with some clients five hours a week, others 20 hours a week, being able to provide the exact same level of service at a smaller cost, much smaller cost, um, meant that not only could I help more clients, but they save money and their revenue grows as a result of my assistance. Wow, that's amazing. And to be able to do that and see your your transition from being basically you were the front line, essentially. You were the front line and the back end, you were saying. So yeah, that, that was overwhelming for yourself as well to be able to have to create the strategy, then implement the strategy. Then of course you have to monitor and make sure it's the it's doing what you need it to do. All of that can be very, very overwhelming. But when you take the approach where you're the one coming up with the strategy, now you just have to make sure everyone's accountable. Not only does it, I assume, lighten the load for you, but it actually makes you able to focus a bit more on what's really working, what's not working. Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the things when you're the one doing all the, the executing and, and all the writing and all of that stuff, you get to a point where you really can't see the forest to the trees right. and you'll try to keep certain big picture ideas in mind, but you, you very frequently lose track of that or you go in a different direction and don't even realize that that's happening. So for me to be able to take a step back and to watch everybody that's part of your marketing team, whether they're in-house or they're, they're outsourced vendors, or you brought in an agency, being able to kind of make sure that everyone stays on the right track makes everything much more effective. You get much better results in less time with less confusion. So it really is the best of both worlds. And now, thankfully, I don't have three full-time jobs anymore like I did before. Right, right. And that's amazing how you're able to create that lane for yourself and also create the basically the culture for yourself that you would want when it comes to working. So kudos to you for that. So thank you. And you talked about bootstrapping, right, Um, about how you started. And a lot of the listeners are probably bootstrapping themselves. I mean, that's not an uncommon concept when you're starting your own business as an entrepreneur is you figure, you know, I'm going to just go out there and figure it out as I go use my own money and try and just make it work. What were some of the things that you learned that weren't working in that space that helped you to be able to kind of perfect or create your own strategy for your success? So when you have outside funding, um, it's really easy to just start throwing money at problems and seeing what happens. Um, I've never been a fan of borrowing from friends and family when I don't know what I'm doing. Because inevitably, I'm going to make mistakes and more likely than not, I'm going to lose those people's money and I feel terrible. And I don't want to go to a bank because I'd have to put my name on the line. I'd have to put personal belongings and stuff in uh, up as equity that the bank could then reclaim in case I lose their money. Uh, And when you get an investor, it's just easy to start throwing, you know, large sums of money at things. So when you're going out there on your own, you really need to figure out how to make a lot with a little. I almost look at it like um, 
when you have th- uh, Thanksgiving dinner and you have that big turkey and on night one, everyone has delicious dinner, but then you have enough leftovers for the next five days. So you have to get a little bit creative and maybe you're going to have a turkey sandwich and then you're chop it up and have, you know, a uh, turkey salad. And you start making all these things that la- you, where you're much more resourceful because you want to use every part of that, that are leftovers. So that's kind of what it's like when you're bootstrapping, you're, you're trying to make a lot with a little. Mm-hmm. And it's tough. I mean, you're you're working really long hours. You're giving up weekends. You're giving up holidays. You're you're sacrificing a lot of times your sanity. You're smashing your head against wall because you don't know what you don't know. Right. And you walk into a situation where there's people using three letter acronyms and talking about software that you've never even heard that exists, and you have to almost overnight become sufficient in all of this this yes. new these new concepts it's not easy no but but inevitably you find your way because now that you mention it you position it that way i find like even though it's not easy you do learn a lot along the way because now you have at least a sense of all of the different aspects of your business so that when you do reposition yourself and now you are more maybe you have more funding maybe you have a better idea of how to use those funds because like you said you're able to do a lot with little so imagine what you can do now that you have the resources and the tools, you're much more efficient and still resourceful at the same time. Oh, of course. And when you busted your butt to start generating this revenue, and yes, you have some money now to spend on hiring people and um, doing things at a little bit more of a professional level, it's your money that you scrape tooth and nail for. You're not going to just throw it around and start spending it as easy as you would if you had an investor's checkbook. Right. You know, you're going to be a lot more conservative with your money um, and really monitor every dollar, which could be a blessing or a curse, depending on, you know, how thrifty you are with it and how, um, you know, there are certain things where you it's worthwhile to go out and spend the money because you need to have something done at a certain level or bring in somebody that has a certain talent and their price tag might be high, but that's just sometimes what's necessary. Right, right, right. And how do you recommend someone is able to make those distinctions? Like, how do they know when to be resourceful or when to just go and get someone who is better, so to speak, or or can bring in the value or bring in that level of expertise that you're speaking about? So you're not going to be good at everything. Mm-hmm. And most of us, if we're not good at something, we try to avoid it. I am terrible with numbers. I could not balance. I could be, do basic addition with the help of a calculator, maybe. (laughs) I am not doing the bookkeeping for my business. I get that. I'm the (laughs) same. You know, there, and if the highest level work that I should be doing is, let's say, going out and making connections and finding possible joint venture partners and getting um, our name out there in the industry, I shouldn't be then chained to my desk doing other busy work that maybe I'm not that good at. And even if I have a, a talent for it, it's not the highest level value. Wow. I need to do the things that's going to grow it the, 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 you know, the most efficient way possible. Um, most of us are not natural born CEOs. So you, you know, for myself, I'm really good at marketing. That's what I know. That's my wheelhouse. That's where I provide my value. It's, more likely that or it's a better use of my time to focus on that and bring in a CEO. Doesn't mean that I'm giving up power. Doesn't mean that I'm taking a step back. It's a business. I get it. It's my baby, all of that. 
you don't want somebody to have a higher sounding title than you, but you know, get put your ego aside, get away from that, and understand that it's better to have 50% of a watermelon than 100% of a grape. Wow. That was deep. <laughs> that was deep. That was a really, really good analogy. Because I mean, like you said, a lot of times people hold on to that title. And these days, let's be honest, Josh, people will print up a business card and say they're a CEO really quick and have no idea what they're doing just so they can say they're a CEO. So yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, it's important to be able to have the wherewithal to put your ego aside and do what's best for the baby. If, if it's really your baby, which I'm, which we know we sh- you shouldn't get too attached to any business. Cause like you said, you, you grew it and sold it. Right. That's the idea behind, even with yeah. babies, they grow up and they leave eventually. Right. So oh yeah, you shouldn't get too attached to your baby, but it, when you're trying to grow your baby, you can't, you shouldn't try and do it by yourself. You should have a community. You should have people who are better at different things than you, maybe mentors, people who can coach you through different things. And they help you grow that baby into a very independent, knowledgeable person that can definitely live on their own and exist on their own. Oh, absolutely. And if you look at any successful um, entrepreneur out there, the business that they were running that gave them all their success, I promise you it's not their first. Wow. They may have had 15, 20, 50 failed businesses before it, some that they were able to grow and sell or you know, gave them some level of success that let them get here. So why am I going to hold on to my ego and try to um, smother my first or second business? If I need you know, to give up a large chunk of equity to bring in a mentor because I don't have the cash to, to pay them a guaranteed amount. And then that's going to help not necessarily guarantee, but it's going to help almost guarantee the success of that business. Right. Awesome. That's what I'm going to need to do because the chance of that being my final business and the one that I like retire on very unlikely, very, very unlikely. Right, right, right. So let's get back to the marketing piece, the marketing <laughs> side of you. Cause I know that's your passion. That's what you love mm-hmm. to do. When did you fall in love with marketing? Like, when did you know that this is my lane? Uh, I can't recall if there was like an exact moment that I said that, but I just noticed I'm at a, a conference and there's a guy getting up on stage. His name is Myron Golden. And I just, within 10 or 15 minutes, he had sold the entire room on some $25,000 training seminar. And this was somebody that prior, I'd never heard his name before. And he comes up on stage. He's an older gentleman. And he just had such control of this room from the very first words that he said that there were people lined up not only to spend $25,000 training for themselves, asking if they could have a discount if they got the same training for some uh, with their business partner as well. Wow. So he sold more than 100% of the room. I'd never seen anything like it. Wow. And I that just sort of stuck with me that this kind of thing is possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just, it was, if there was ever a moment, that would probably be it. Wow. That's amazing. And, and how did that make you, after seeing that this is very possible, what made you see that? Cause I know with marketers, our minds kind of start <laughs> really going and we start putting pieces. Like it's like a big puzzle. And then as the pieces all come together and then it's like, ah, oh, we see everything start to make sense and fall in line. So, and, and for me, that's kind of what I love about doing marketing, seeing all of, like we were saying before, all those different pieces coming together um, and then seeing them form that bigger picture that you still took a step back 
to really see. So what's the magic in it for you? Um, the magic for a lot of it is storytelling. Yeah. At the end of the day, as people, we have just a very small set of base psychological wants and needs. And if we look at Maslow's hierarchy, of course, food and shelter and, and all that, yes. But we want to feel uh, accepted. We want to feel loved. We want to feel comfortable. We want to feel powerful. We want to feel sexy. We want other people to look at us and be jealous. Wow. And we want to avoid things that scare us, make us feel uncomfortable, make us feel like we're going to experience discomfort or pain or anything. And when you look at, when you, you understand this and you start to look at how some bigger companies are able to do it, it's you, you realize, okay, they understand something about their audience that other people do not. There's a reason that you don't see Rolls Royce commercials because they don't need to. They are given their, their whole idea is exclusivity. When you're dealing with very high net worth people, people with a ton of money, they can afford anything. I'm talking the multi, multi pajillionaires. Right, 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 right. You said pajillion. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Like you're, you're, they're each going to have a watch more expensive than the last or a boat or something. so. With them, it's not about what somebody can afford or if I can afford something that my competitor can't. It's about I want something limited, that there's one of this in the world that nobody else can have this exact thing. That's one of the reasons that they cling onto a lot of um, artists because they want the only copy of this picture or this painting or whatever. Right. And Rolls-Royce gets that. And so they have, when they you look into their branding, then their, their marketing and their little brochures that you usually have to go into the dealership for, they talk about they own the rights to the this farm that has the cows that produce the softest, highest quality leather in the world. And they have people that will sit there by hand and um, really just test the leather and make sure it's the quality they want. And every seat is hand sewn and the leather that they don't use goes to Louis Vuitton. Oh, wow. So Louis Vuitton has the second best leather in the world, but Rolls Royce, because of this, there's no two seats that are exactly the same. And each one has been hand inspected and crafted. And that's one of many aspects of their cars that let high net worth people know this car. Yes, there are others that we make that look just like it, but this one has been uh, constructed by hand and there is not another one like it. It's wow. the most exclusive kind of thing you can own, right? Right. And so they got that. And they're since day one, they knew that. And that's what they've always been. They never started out like a Dodge or a Ford or just a normal consumer car and then went up their message from day one was exclusivity. Right, right, right. That's amazing. And and to be able to see it that way. And that's the thing about marketers as well. We have an eye for things that people don't see. Like you, you hear, it's like almost like, you know how dogs have a special hearing? Not to say that we're like dogs, but <laughs> you hear the underlying message and everything. There's like an underlying tone or underlying kind of a, yeah, a tone or message or sound or voice that no one else can hear that we pick up on. So even the people who are buying it, they don't even know why they're doing it half the time. Right. Half no, the time. no, but, but if you look at it and this is kind of interesting, people buy based on emotion and honestly, I mean, to be a little bit blown with you, 
the answer to 99 out of 100 questions is sex. Yeah. I, I, you want to look, I mean, that's why people go to the gym, you, you know, and have personal trainers, even when they don't need them, because you want to look better naked. No, very few people actually go there because they are concerned about their health. It's 1% of people. Um, but you look at, I know I just gave you a car example, but um, you look at any SUV or truck commercial, it's out there. You're going to buy an emotion, but then justify it with logic. So they're showing a video clip of this truck going off road and up mountains and through lakes and all this and that. And the, the man that's driving it, it usually looks like some uh, cowboy type guy. And he's got some beautiful woman in the passenger seat. And giving you the visual idea that this is a sexy car and you're yes. going to have sex appeal when you own it. But what are the, what are the words that you hear? It gets X amount of miles per gallon. It's got the highest safety ratings. It's got all these airbags. So you're justifying it with logic saying, if I own this car, my family's going to be safer. Eh, well, yes, that might be true, but you bought it because you wanted to be that sexy cowboy. Yes, yes, yes. Cause they'll be just as safe in the caravan. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That is amazing. So, um, and, and I know we've always heard about the sex appeal, sex appeal and sex sells and all of that, but I never really noticed that, like you said, they justify it with logic. So they kind of counteract it or, or support the theory with saying something about why you should do it just so you could give a reason. So it's a good reason to go back and say, this is why I bought it. Not because of that, it's because of this. <laughs> and, and yeah, that's kind of a blunt one to look at, but you also look at a lot of the way that um, brands market to women where let's just say it's a hair product and they show this beautiful model with this shiny, long, thick hair. And they're talking about all the botanicals and the oils and how it new, um, nourishes your hair. And she looks fantastic. And you're going to go out and you're going to want this product because you want hair like that. And the other thing that they're saying to you is it helps to, to protect your hair from falling out. It helps to, um, soften your skin and makes it healthier. Okay. Yeah. So here's the logic part. My hair is stronger. It's, it's healthier. It's going to be in good shape and less damaged over time. Really? You want to have that sexy looking hair. You want to look like the, that cover model that was in the commercial. Right. So it's another, you know, that, that's sex appeal right there. Right, right, right. And, and it's in everything. It's in, it's in commercials for clothes. It's in commercials for, like you said, for, for cars, for, for watches, for everything. It's in all of it is about having that look or appeal when it comes to your life or your lifestyle. Of course. Why do you think uh, brands use uh, celebrities to endorse all their products? Celebrity doesn't necessarily use that product, mm -hmm. but if it's a Hollywood actor, actress, you know that this person is a beautiful person, right? You know, they're not getting Steve Buscemi most of the time to promote their stuff. They're, they're getting one of the Hemsworth brothers or, or someone like that. Yeah. And so you want to be associated with that because that person is sexy. And it doesn't matter if they're selling, you know, I know Shaq is selling every uh, pain cream and, and insurance there is. <laughs> yeah, you know, he is. <laughs> you want to be associated with this person that you, you put on an elevated platform. Now, he might not be the best looking guy in the world but he has this coolness factor and everybody loves him. Right. So you want to be associated with that. Yes. Association. That's the key word there. It's like just feeling as if you have what they have and that you, it kind of puts you in the mindset that, Oh, I'm just like them or I can be like them or I can have a piece of them or that life. So exactly. To speak. Which still with, goes back um, to being sexy. 
Oh, of course, of course. And a lot of times when you look at direct response marketing, it's all based on stories. And the story is understanding who your customer are is and creating the story about you're understanding the pain that they're in and the struggle they're going through. And you're speaking in their words and their language. And you want them to listen back and say, oh, wow, they really get me. And with uh, brand marketing, where you have a 30 second commercial, you don't really have the time to draw somebody in with that story. So instead we use this celebrity and say, Oh, if you use this product, you'll be like this person. Right. It's the same concept. It's just kind of the inverted version of that. Yes. Yes. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. How, again, do you think people realize that that's what's happening? I'm sure they do. You think they know that they're being sold on the of course, uh, one level, you know that you're being sold on something, but you're exposed to thousands of ads every day. So, you know, a lot of uh, really good direct response marketing is cutting through that noise. I worked on a um, campaign with um, with a client who's in the weight loss supplement industry. Mm-hmm. And to, to understand the psychology behind this, I sat there with... Um, a number of the employees there who happen to be people of substantial weight and I'm getting to know them. And it usually took a couple of cocktails and really deep conversations to get them to open up. But what they were telling me was insane. It's we sit down in a chair that has armrests. They hate that. Sometimes it's difficult for them to sit in the chair comfortably or to get out of it. When they're walking somewhere, let's say a movie theater they know that people see them coming down the aisle and are hoping they don't sit next to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, They know that they're going to get looked over for promotions at work because of their appearance. They know that their health is going to be at higher risk than somebody that doesn't have immense weight issues. They know they're probably going to die young and might not, and probably pass on a lot of these bad habits to their children. Now that is a lot of heavy duty things that are going on in this person's mind. Most of the day, right? I can't just say, take this pill and you'll lose weight. But if I can tap into those stories now, when I'm talking, you know, now when we put this product in front of somebody that wants to lose weight, now we have something that cuts through the noise that hits them where it hurts. Mm -hmm. that gets to the core of, of their issues. And now I have their attention and now we can sell them. Wow. Wow. That, that's awesome. That's awesome that you're able to, to, to be able to d- dissect it that way and be able to make that come to that conclusion, be able to, to not only see that, but also replicate that in other ways when it comes to marketing and helping customers to be able to get their products and services out there. Speaking of, what are some of the ways like if someone's listening and they're like, man, I could probably use someone like Josh on my team. What are some of the ways that they do work with you? Talk about that dynamic. What is it like for you to come in and be part of someone's team or their organization or company? Sure. So I generally work mostly with uh, online-based businesses. These could be anything in the information space, um, SaaS companies, so software companies, supplements. That's kind of my um, wheelhouse, although I've worked with many clients outside of there from stem cell research to different um, charities to you name it. But um when we work together, uh, generally, I want you to already have some marketing team in place. That could be one, two people. It could be five people. Um, 
And I work with mostly seven and eight figure businesses because we need to have a budget where we can start testing things. Um, it is very difficult when you are generating re- less revenue because we just can't move fast enough. But very first few conversations, we're looking at everything, your entire structure, your branding, your story, your messaging, your customers, all of the assets, everything you have in place. And first thing I'm going to want to try and do is uncover hidden assets you don't realize you have. Um, I have a client who we were able to, they, they were really big into community building and they had a um, membership for, for parents um, that was about $25 a month. And that was kind of their bread and butter. And it was, you know, geared towards just general parents being able to turn to each other for help and for advice. And then we realized, well, there's a, we were looking through the, um, um, the forums and the discussions and we realized there is a huge segment of this that are parents or children with some kind of, um, either light, mild autism or a learning disability. And they were developing differently. And um, because I, I actually own a um, music education business, I knew that music education is one of the best things that you can do for a child with dyslexia or ADD or ADHD, because it connects synapses on both the left and right side of their brain. And grades actually do go up and concepts that are usually confusing really become much more clear to a child over time. So we decided, well, let's introduce a music education component to this for parents of children with a learning disability. And that came with a higher premium because now there was more moving parts and this was something specialized. So that was an add-on that we charged uh, another $75 a month to. Well, we had over 2,000 signups for that. So that's $150,000 a month in extra revenue we generated. And it took us a little less than three weeks to go from concept to execution. So one of the first things that I'm going to try and do is find where there are assets that that you don't know that you have or that we're not utilizing or something really quick that we can uh, plug in that generates you a really profitable quick win. That's not always realistic. That doesn't always happen, but I'm going to work to see if we can do that. Then after that, once we have everything laid out and in front of us, we're going to be tracking all of our numbers. We're coming up with campaigns, ideas, coming up with strategies that can last us another six to 18 months. And I'm assigning everybody on your team. Here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to do it. I put standard operating procedures in place so that you you know how to do it correctly up to my standards. There's no confusion. We can know what you're doing every single day. So you have all the direction you need. We're going to put KPIs, key performance indicators in place. These are basically goals and numbers that you're trying to reach. And then we put in an incentive program where it says, if you hit your base numbers, great. You hit your goal. Anything under it? Well, we're going to need to figure that out. Do you need more training? Are you maybe not the right person for this role? We're going to be able to measure results. Anything over those numbers? Right. You're going to get incentivized with a bonus. Um, I had a client where they had hired an affiliate manager who really they didn't provide much training or direction for. I changed that. We made sure that this person was trained up. Uh, they were a hundred thousand dollar a year employee, and we set their KPI numbers at four to one, meaning they were making a hundred grand, they had to generate four times that, so four hundred thousand dollars in new revenue. We 
because of all the direction and all the systems I put in place, she ended up generating $1.7 million that year. This was a $3 million business. So she did 58% of the previous year's total revenue single-handedly. She was a rock star. And as a result, her end of the year performance bonus was about $70,000. She made more money than she ever thought possible. She said right away, the very first thing she says, next year, I'm going to do 2 million. She was so motivated, became the most loyal employee that would do anything to bust her butt for this company. She ended up actually doing about 2.4 million. So her bonus was with her salary and all that. It was more money than she ever dreamed she'd be making her life. She took home almost a quarter million dollars that following year. Wow. Yeah. So, and, and then you combine that with, you know, that was just the affiliate manager. I was putting these same sort of systems in place for their copywriters, their email marketers, um, and their ad buyers. And we grew them in two years. They went from $3 million to 10 million. That is amazing. Wow. Wow. That's, 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 wow. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Yes. And what it comes down to is systems and processes, right? And like you said, measuring those results, being able to measure those results so they can see what goal they're getting to kind of like any runner or an athlete, they they need to see the finish line so they can keep going. Right. Right. So being able to know that, man, if I just go a little faster, a little further, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. And then they get there. And if they get there faster or even go further, they know they get extra on top of that. So, and, and then it's also trial and error. You know, somebody's job is to do all the email marketing, uh, which depending on the, the company, that can be a full-time job where that's all they do for their 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Well, they're going to a lot of times send out one or two kinds of emails in the same style. Everything's going to look very uniform and the results are going to stay consistent. We're not growing, we're not shrinking, we're staying somewhat baseline. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's try this. I'm, I might have a totally different style of how I want you to do it. The time of day these emails go out, how they're written, the psychology behind it. And I'll give you templates. And next week, we're going to look, do we see any difference? Was it better or worse? Did it say the same? And all right, we can eliminate it. Let's just say it did a little bit better. Great. Now we have our new baseline. Now let's try to improve it again for next week and then for the week after. And so by, by having the room to kind of run all these tests and the systems and, and the templates so that you know what you're doing, we can track it. Incrementally, every aspect is going to be showing improvements week to week, month to month. So by the time we get to the end of the year, now we have these huge differences where, you know, on average, uh, eight-figure company, we might be doing 40% more revenue as a result. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Just, just from making those little changes and wow. That's why I, I stay back. I always have the uh, the big picture in mind. Everything is tracked. Everything is documented. And we are looking at everything as a group and show, seeing where do we make improvements? Where did things maybe not go so well? Let's eliminate the losers, try doubling down on the winners, trying beating those winners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is part of just keeping everything organized, which you can't do when you're on the front line. It's it, you can, but realistically, you're not going to be able to sustain that for a very long time. Um, and it's, you know, how we're able to, make sure everybody excels, everybody works, everybody's incentivized because obviously there are performance bonuses, you mm-hmm. know, 
Um, that also keeps employees wanting to work harder and be loyal for longer. So it's one of the ways that you, a business owner actually really ends up growing and scaling. Yes. Yes. And, and that's, that's the idea, right? You get in business that you can grow it, scale it, and eventually hopefully sell it <laughs> and move on to the next business. So that's amazing. And the structure that you're talking about is exactly what a CEO needs to do. They need to remove themselves from, especially these new, newer CEOs. Um, I myself included, because that's kind of where I was. I had to remove myself from the forefront because I was in that space where I was implementing as well as strategizing. So being able to take a step back and see the big picture, if no one's doing that, then the company is not growing. And if it doesn't grow, eventually it just becomes stagnant and then can even go down. So it's very important that you're able to do that. And um, if someone does want to partner with you, how do they find you? How do they connect with you in order to do that? Sure. Uh, my website is verygoodmarketingconsultants.com. Uh, my email is josh at verygoodmarketingconsultants.com. You can reach me on either of those places. Um, and yeah, I'm happy to have a 15-minute talk with pretty much anybody. Obviously, if you're in something that's well outside my wheelhouse, then we probably won't be a good fit. You know, I've never worked in industrial manufacturing and food processing. So uh, I, I could tell you right now, I'm probably not the right choice. Um, but yeah, you can go to verygoodmarketingconsultants.com. There's right there on the, the homepage, there's a scheduler. So you can um, schedule a 15 minute call and let's see if uh, um, I can help you out. That's amazing. And that is verygoodmarketingconsultants.com. Um, and Josh can be your fractional CMO. Now, Josh, is it just you or do you have a team of fractional CMOs? So I have a team. Like I said, I've been doing this since 2007. And in that time, I've made uh, really close relationships with other marketers and copywriters who are very high level, who are incredible what they do, have gotten amazing results. And so um, I've brought some of them in. I've trained them in exactly how my processes and how I want things done. And so if there's a client that we can help and I'm not the right person, one of my colleagues is. I'll have them assigned to you. And so I want to make sure that they do the, that whoever is working with you can do the best job possible. And as much as it kind of shoots us in the foot long-term to say this, um, like I said, at the top of this call, it's not until you're on the 20 plus million dollars revenue mark. That's when you kind of need a full-time in-house CMO. Our goal is to get you there. So you graduate past us. Wow. And that's awesome that you do that. That's that's great that you are, because I don't think that's shooting you in the foot, because if you're able to get them to that point, that means you've succeeded in what they brought you in to do, kind of like a consultant in a sense, like it is consulting. So you're able to achieve that success for them. And then now they're able, like you said, to graduate past that and bring in someone full time that they may ask you to even help them source and vet and find. Is that something you can help them do as well? Oh, absolutely. With most of our clients, one of the hardest things to do really is um, to interview a marketing team, especially if you don't know what to ask them, right. you know, you haven't done, you haven't been on the front lines yourself. Um, so a lot of times our clients will have us, they are part of the interview process. And I can't tell you how many times I've been on calls where they're interviewing, let's just say outsourced um, ad buyers and the presentation sounds great. The pitch deck looks fantastic. The case studies sound good. And I can ask them one or two questions and eliminate them and realize that this, that these ad buyers are full of it and they would not be a good fit. And these are, you know, strategies that most people don't know until it's too late. Right. Because everybody sounds great in the very beginning. 
until you kind of hold them over the coals and uh, put them to task. So yeah, being able to help you with your hiring processes uh, is something that we do all the time. That is amazing. That's great. I'm loving what you're doing. I'm loving how you are offering CEOs an opportunity to step back and grow their business by bringing in someone that can definitely help them with their marketing in a way where, because a lot of times CEOs think if they just hire the vendors or they just do the things that it'll get done. But no, you need someone who understands marketing and understands what you're trying to achieve to be that liaison or that go-between to be able to oversee that process. Because as a CEO, like you said, a lot of times you don't know anything about marketing. You just know your business. So it's important to be able to let go of the ego and bring someone in that can definitely help you with your marketing. Because at the end of the day, that is the biggest part of your business. It's going to be what people see. Um, It's going to be what they hear. It's going to be what they feel so that they can be able to want to do business with you in in a market or in a a space where a lot of people may be doing the same thing you're doing. So that's how you're going to stand out is with your messaging, with your marketing, with your exclusivity, if that's part of your strategy, um, and being able to tap into those different uh, markets by getting a fractional CMO to help you with that. Absolutely. You just nailed it right on the head. <laughs> I'm a marketer, so I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get tell. what it takes. Yes, I get what it takes. Um, and I've been through it myself, even playing that double role, like you were saying, being a CEO and a CMO, in a sense, within yourself learning that you have to take that own step back and bringing some experts as well. And just use that expertise, even that I have to just kind of watch over the process and not be the one implementing it's, it's not easy, but um, it's very important to grow the business. And I've learned a lot just by talking to you about what some of the things that I'm missing in my, in my um, strategy in terms of KPIs and bonuses and showing people where that finish line is so that they can know what they're trying to achieve. So they could be incentivized to make it there and even further. So I think that's a very key part. And I think that's great that that's what you're helping these CEOs doing their business to really see the importance of appreciating their people and showing their people that there is something in it for them as well. I think that's very key. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the difference between a successful business that's built to grow and one that isn't. And the the really cool part is when you have this stuff in place where you have all the systems ready to go, where you're constantly growing year over year and you go, you decide, all right, I'm ready to, to sell. I'm ready to retire. If you can show an investor that you're constantly growing and you're going to continue to constantly grow, you're going to sell for a much higher valuation. You're going to get, you know, maybe not instead of three years, revenue, you can negotiate 10 years revenue Mm, because you can project it. Exactly. When your business is stagnant, investors realize that they've got a lot of work to do and they don't want to take a lot of risk by giving you all all this cash. Right. But when you already have all that in place, they're going to see, okay, we're, we've got the next decade planned out, or we have the next big move. If we're going to sell this to an even bigger, but whatever, they know that that's in place and they're happy to give you much more money. Right. Oh, Wow. That's that's a very very good point. And I wouldn't I wasn't even seeing it in that light. That's a great point because you can see the growth that you've already had, so it kind of projects the growth you're going to have in the future. So it would it would be foolish almost to sell it at the point where it's at now, knowing that it's going to continue to grow because those systems are in place. Yeah, yeah. I work with a lot of uh, clients over the years that their goal is to sell in the next three years. So we have to put these systems in place to show this growth the um that 
one client I mentioned earlier that where they had the groups for, for parents, those little community groups are $25 right. a month. And then we added the one for um, the music education. We now had parents paying us for two different levels of service. We had two membership levels, one three times more expensive than the other. That right there is going to allow them to sell for a whole lot more money when they eventually get to that point. Because the investor sees we have multiple streams of income at different price tiers. Mm. We have people paying us once or twice a month. We have something for a wider net of audiences. This is something that can be grown and expanded even more so. Wow. 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 Awesome. Awesome. So I'm, I'm doing some things right based on what you're saying, because I have a membership driven model. So based on some of the things you're saying, I'm like, okay, yes. So we're good. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you for that. Thank you so much for that. And again, for anyone who's listening, who is listening and wants to use Josh's services, check out verygoodmarketingconsultants.com to get more information about getting a fractional CMO so that you can be able to get a strategy in place to grow your company, to grow your marketing, and to eventually position your company for the success it needs in order for you to step back and just watch it grow like the true baby it should be. Grow from a baby to an adult right before your eyes. (laughs) So thank you so much, Josh, for that insightful information and for all that knowledge and for those jewels that you dropped, because I'm definitely going to use some of those in my strategy so that I could be able to continue to grow as well. So thank you for your time in that. Of course, of course. And thank you very much for having me on your show. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, you can find Josh on verygoodmarketingconsultants.com. Are you in other, any other social media platforms? Uh, I am. I know I should be using them more for business, but they're more personal accounts, Um, you know, but you can find me Instagram. It's at the only Josh R Uh, Facebook. Just look up Josh Rosenberg. I know it's a very common name. So just look for um, a headshot. And a little background with a dark color background with me talking about fractional CMO services. You'll know you're in the right place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you again, Josh, for coming on Leaders on the Rise. And thank you for helping create other leaders who are on the rise through your services. Thank you very much. (laughs) All right. Until next time. Thank you all for listening. Lydia here. Thank you so much for listening to Leaders on the Rise. If you are a successful CEO, founder, C-suite executive, decision maker, successful business leader, or an influential entrepreneur who would like to be on this podcast, please visit pierrebrandinggroup.com slash podcast to apply. If you got something out of this interview you would like to share on social media, just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag leaders on the rise. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any episodes. Go ahead and subscribe your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. And they meet so much to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, pierrebrandygroup.com, or follow me on LinkedIn and Instagram at LydiaPierre underscore. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time.